Hello and welcome to the first episode of Not So Intellectual Property, a look at current events and news through the lens of intellectual property law. I'm Nick Jingo, an IP attorney focusing on brand protection. With me as always is my co-host Kyle Fleming, an IP attorney whose practice focuses on IP dispute resolution. You know, before we jump into today's episode, quick reminder, the information in this podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and may not reflect the current law in any particular jurisdiction. This information should not be construed as legal advice and is not intended to substitute for legal counsel on any subject matter. Listening to this podcast does not create any attorney-client privilege. Now on to the fun stuff. So So how about those guardians? guardians? I've done two LinkedIn videos now, at least with regard to the fallout from them trying to change to guardians, Mm -hmm. which in light of the roller derby team that nobody knew about, (laughs) or at least that I didn't know about, uh, (laughs) it looks like it could be a little hairier. Um, I imagine they'll probably sort that out. The bigger issue, though, is why they did it, right? Um, right. Of course, I, do you remember when Apple didn't own, like, iPhone or something, you know, so... Right. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end yeah. of the world, right? right? There's always that Burger King story, right? They, they, there's still some Burger King out in middle America that isn't the Burger King. But there's it, it, the, 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 the bigger issue, I think, is this idea of brands behaving badly, though, right? This is... This was a, a brand that needed to change, was going to change. It had been on the table for years and years. They had already moved away from the logo, Chief Wahoo, the mascot. So I think the writing was on the wall this was going to happen. But it, it hasn't just happened with sports brands. I mean, there's, I mean, yes, the, so the, the Washington football team, formerly the Washington Redskins, kind of started it off. But there's also, from, from trademark land where I live, you know, there's Aunt Jemima's gone, Uncle Ben's is gone, Eskimo Pie is gone. You know, anything having to do with indigenous cultures is kind of going away. And, and again, not to, not we're not here to talk about the social ramifications. I think it's all well and good. At, at the end of the day, the question really becomes what what are brand owners going to do now, right? From a trademark perspective, if you stop using a mark, that's no longer your mark. Use it or lose it, and someone else can take it. Right. Yeah, I, I guess the the underlying idea too is that is that you you don't want to use these marks anymore for what you had been using them for, but you also don't want to lose them because there's a lot of value and goodwill wrapped up in in what you've built on that, right? I mean, the Washington Redskins is still a thing that has a lot of value. The Cleveland Indians, you know, Chief Wahoo, still a valuable asset. And so... Because if, if it's really something that you would that you want to disassociate yourself with forever, like uh, we, then I guess it's easy. Yeah, stop using it, let it go. Right. Right. I mean, at that point, you're willing to give up whatever value it might have for larger right. reasons. It, it's so bad that there's no <laughs> there's there's no redeeming there's no it. redeeming so it no or right. right right. I think I think we're thinking like especially with sports teams is that the you know I mean. People still buy, you know, um, the Hartford Whalers jersey. That, I mean, there hasn't been a Hartford Whalers in you know, how long, or the Quebec Nordiques, right? Concept, yeah. The throwback concept, and there's a lot of money to be made in that kind of thing. Well, you, I mean, you see, there are there are companies who recognize this and who have applied to register these marks as they've dropped off. I mean, that I've mentioned a couple Aunt Jemima, Uncle Ben's Eskimo Pie. That that there's a company that has has applied to register those marks. On under the kind of the argument that 
the original companies abandoned them, and so they're they're free they're they're up for grabs. And it, and historically, I think brands could have relied on that doctrine under the Lanham Act that had to do with, you know, you, you couldn't register a mark if it was immoral, deceptive, or scandalous, or it disparaged persons. And I think one of the ideas there was to prevent the registration of these types of marks in the first place. The problem is that that's all gone now. I mean, there, there was a couple, those two Supreme Court cases, Tam and Brunetti, that they really did away with those limitations on registrations. And so now you you can register just about anything. And really what you're relying on at that point is the market to sort it out, right? Like, well, if it's a if it's a bad word or if it's a slur, then people aren't going to be willing to buy that product, and so the brand won't survive. The, the problem is that with the fracture of the market, you can find enough people to buy these things. You know, say it's a T-shirt. I mean, it doesn't cost a lot of money to make a T-shirt anymore. So you don't need to sell a ton of them. I mean, the thing is, if you're Nabisco or some big food company, yeah, selling some small amount of Aunt Jemima syrup doesn't make any sense. It doesn't move the bottom line, right? You're a billion dollar company selling a few million dollars worth of some nostalgic brand is probably more trouble than it's worth. But for some people, that's a good business, right? I mean, so you're right. There's someone out there who it may not make sense for you to do this because of who you are or you don't want the bad reputation because it hurts you in general with your consumer base. But there's a whole lot of companies out there that probably think, you know what, a lot of people will buy Aunt Jemima syrup in the Aunt Jemima bottle because of it, right? Sure. I mean, mean, you'll even have people who are going to buy these things specifically because it's it's created a a, a stir. Right. Right. And again, there is value in that. And I think the, the problem for brands is, so how do you, how do you main, maintain control of your mark in a strong enough fashion that you can maintain a registration for that mark and rights in the mark and the ability to stop others from using the mark, but at the same time, you know, in your, in your, in your public-facing way, not look disingenuous, right? Like, look, we agree our mark's problematic, but we're still going to make money off it because we don't want anybody else to, you know, I, the, 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 the baseball team, the Indians, formerly Indians, soon to be, uh, they're rolling out this idea of selling this merchandise that still has these, this branding on it. Uh, but then, you know, donating the proceeds to various causes. And I think that's one way you can address it with the consuming public. Although that still doesn't quite solve the problem. We talked about this before, Kyle, that, that the main thrust of that registration originally was entertainment services in the nature of baseball games. It, it's not hats and shirts and now, right. and to flip it around, you could stop hats and shirts with copyright for a while, at least. I mean, there's time limits and stuff, but, but the, from a trademark perspective, if they're not, if they're not providing baseball games under Indians or with chief Wahoo, then at some point that the main thrust of that mark goes away. Now, is somebody going to scoop that up and start their own baseball team? Uh, seems unlikely, but you know, maybe, maybe the team has plays plays one game a year. We talked about throwbacks. Maybe they play one game a year in those throwback uniforms, and they make it very much about social awareness and education, and they donate the proceeds. And I mean, that might be enough. It's hard for things like the Redskins or the Indians. I mean, I guess the the, the trick is how do you use those marks? but not use them, 
right? I mean, because do you really want to play a, I mean, do you really want to go play a game as the Washington Redskins? Right. I mean, that's going to yeah, be a bad right. look. Right. right. That's a bad no look. How, that's right. It's hard to no pull. That's hard to pull that, off. That's right. That's ultimately going to be a bad right. look to at least a, right. a fraction of the right. public. Right. Now, I guess you're right. You have you still have copyright. I mean, for like logos or uh, I guess the logo anyway. But yeah, I mean, how you certainly can't claim a copyright in Indians. Um, it's hard to. And you're right. It, I guess it's not likely that some major team is going to show up as the Cleveland Indians or the Indians, but you could see, I mean, maybe baseball's a bad example because I, I mean, maybe there aren't like community baseball teams, but you could definitely see in some, in some sports, some it's local, independent some independent league, or, league yeah, sure. or some beer can league, someone deciding, Hey, my bar is going to be the. We're going to play base. We're going to play softball now in the beer league as the Cleveland Indians. Right. And guess what? Yeah, they can do that. Right. I mean, if you've lost the trademark in it. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it's a stickier situation for a services type right. mark, where, you know, to provide the services is difficult. I mean, in the in the case of Aunt Jemima or these other goods marks, it's a little bit easier, arguably, right? I mean. Nabisco, or I don't remember. I think it, whoever owns Aunt Jemima, they, they they could sell some limited quantity of it, donate the proceeds, indicate on the packaging that that's what they're doing, and be very open about the idea that they're essentially reserving the mark, um, and 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 maybe avoid too much scrutiny from the public and 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 reserve their rights. But but a a sports team especially, I think, is gonna they're gonna have a hard time. I think, too, the other thing is if it's a good, you don't necessarily have to sell them and you don't necessarily have to be super successful at it so long as you're making a bona fide effort to do it, right? So, I mean, you could have some weird, you could create some site, license the site, offer it for sale on the site, and you know what? If it, if it sells great and if it doesn't, yeah, maybe even better. Because yeah. you've, you've used it in commerce for what you're registering it for, right? I mean, you talked about that case with the, you know, the, the church store selling, you know. Just a couple. Just right, a just couple, couple items, units, right, right? Right. I mean, as long as it's offered for sale or, you know, commercialized in interstate commerce, you're there, right? There's no, you have to make a million dollars doing it or anything like that. Um, but you're right. It's, it's, I think with goods, you have more opportunity to quietly do it to meet your threshold for maintaining it it's harder to imagine the indians doing it and on, i mean on the flip side though i guess maybe you can rely a little more on the market for something like a sports team in that people are choosing to kind of you know when you choose to when you choose to buy aunt jemima syrup for example it's going to go in your fridge or your pantry right like you're not you're not broadcasting to the world that you know you're cool with that design. Um, you know, buying tickets to a baseball game, you're showing up at that baseball game with a bunch of other people. You know, wear, wearing wearing gear, right? Wearing a hat or a t-shirt. You know, you're you're telling the world that you're good with what's on there. And I think maybe you know maybe there's some maybe it's a little easier to rely on the market to police things there. I mean, like you know, going back to the beer league softball idea or the independent team you know that team might get a little bit of buzz on the front end right 
oh, the new Cleveland, in- there's a new Cleveland Indians and they're using Chief Wahoo. And, you know, I, I'm, look, I'm sure there's a, a sub, sub part of society that's going to go buy that gear. But is it enough to, to, just, to, to, to carry that through? I, I don't know. Maybe it's not. Well, I, I guess, I mean, you, you say that you raise something that's interesting, and that is, of course, the Indians can more easily maintain registration. Well, I mean, maybe you should talk about this. I mean, can the Indians maintain registrations in, like, for hats and for the gear if they no longer have the team? That's a good point. So, so as it kind of historically has stood, using a logo or a mark on the kind of the front of a hat or on the front of a shirt in more of an ornamental way is not a trademark use. And you see people run into this all the time at the office, uh, at the trademark office, when they try to register like a, a pithy saying, right? And they, they want to throw it on a t-shirt and they want to get a trademark on that. It, and almost inevitably fails. The way that s- most sports teams and brands get around that or, or they don't get around it. That there's a an exception to that, and that is where the ornamental use is actually a secondary source indicator, and it's situations where that logo is actually associated with a services provider. So, like the one I always think of is like the Block O for Ohio State. It gets used on hats and shirts all the time. They can the the school can stop people from making those shirts based on trademark because Ohio State uses that logo in association with the services, educational services, sports entertainment services, et cetera. Indians, Chief Wahoo, the re, their trademark rights really stem from the sports services that they provide. It's, they're not a hat brand, right? The Chief Wahoo or the Script I or Indians is on a hat that's made by another 47 brand or you know, pick, a, pick a clothing line. One way the the club could get around that though would be to essentially like white label the hats right buy them from 47 put whatever mark they want to protect on the label right on the inside of the hat or on the back of the you know inside the neck of the shirt and and at that point now you have created a brand of t you know an an indians brand of t-shirts and in fact the the outward, the, the whatever's on the front of it may not even be Indians. I mean, right. at that point, it may just be the Guardians. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. That's an that's interesting. Yeah. Since this is, is a process that you go through, right? So you can do things long. Well, you can do things before you retire your your damage mark, so to speak. Right. So what if you, for example, created like registered Cleveland Indians for like charitable services right which i assume the indians could have done um, if they wanted to or essentially some other service that maybe isn't quite so public continue to use it in that regard and still then rely on your on your secondary you know source indicator but now instead of pointing to baseball you're essentially pointing it to I mean, I guess you lose the yeah. early date of your filing, but I guess the theory is that no one will have been able to sneak in ahead of you. Right. Presumably, if you do it, if you if you 
are strategic about it. And then you register that, and that's right. your and now you're that's selling, your services. And now the merchandise you're selling is really related to those services, not baseball. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, technically, no one, no practically, I mean, no practically one's relating speaking, it. Right. right. But right. But it's a way to keep using the mark in maybe a less public. Right. Way and ultimately have the ability to stop others from because that I mean right because that's what we're really, really, what we're really worried about here is somebody selling merch I mean the, right the profiting odds of somebody, off of right what you built right the odds of someone starting a baseball team or renaming a baseball team are pretty low because they're going to run into a lot of the same hurdles that you ran into there's going to be pressure from whatever league they're in right. fans uh, you know protests that like the, the the really what you're looking at preventing is the guy pumping a bunch of shirts out of his garage or selling hats online. Right. And in that case, as long as you have a viable registration for a services class, your secondary registrations for the goods should be fine. Mm -hmm. And you'd be able to assert all of those things against that. Brand, right. Setting aside copyright. Right. I think, I think the, um, the, the takeaway from all this is that, that with some good planning, if, if you are unfortunate enough or fortunate enough to have a brand that needs to be retired because it's um, you know, politically incorrect, for lack of a better term, that, that there are things that you can do to appear to give up the mark without permanently giving it up, right? I mean, so that later, if for some reason times change or some, something changes, Right, you have the you have the ability to to continue, you know, to pick it back up or at least stop other people from using it, which right. I, which is really the key. Yeah, I think it's I think it's twofold. Right. I think it's I think it's a little bit of both. And I, I think there's a fine you know there's a fine line between maintaining a legacy brand for defensive purposes and and looking like you're still trying to profit off of it. And I think right. that's obviously that's the that's the line to walk. But I think I mean I think. Even just in this conversation, it's pretty clear there are there are some creative ways you can do it. I think there's you know either combinations of IP or you know coming up with new ways to use the existing marks in ways that are more palatable. Right. Right. Um, but ultimately, it's still a pretty gray area, and there's I think a lot of brands are still working through it. Right. And. And a lot of what we've talked about today applies even for brands that aren't necessarily damaged or that you just feel like you need to retire for one reason or another. I mean, I think like in the appliance business or in the car business, I mean, you know, tap in white. I mean, all these old brands of, um, you know, appliances that are still owned by someone, um, they've just moved on and now they're using some other, you know, brand name. I mean, like the Lucky Gold Star and LG, right? I mean, that kind of thing. Um, but you may want to keep those brands around and bring them back at some point. Yeah, sure. And so uh, yeah, a lot of these same techniques yeah. can be used to, to, to keep them going. I mean, I guess there you don't have to worry about the public backlash of, of selling, uh, you know, a modest number of of those branded refrigerators over the course of the year right. like you would I think it, using Redskins. But. Yeah, I think it becomes a little more straightforward in those situations because you you can still potentially sell some product. And, you know, you can have kind of a, a legacy brand 
version of your products. Right. But I, but even then, I think being aware of the fact that even if you go through a rebrand and you and you do all the legwork to come up with the new, you know, a redesigned logo, and you, you know, mm-hmm. to not forget your old brands and consider that there are is some potentially still some value in those and to to plan for that and right. to, to have to to have a legacy brand to have a you know sell merch like right i mean you can get t-shirts with just about any old logo on them that you can yeah. i mean i i mean it's not that hard to, like i said it's not that hard to make these things these mm-hmm. days and so planning ahead during a rebrand for maintaining your old marks makes sense even if the reason for the rebrand isn't you know political correctness right. but but more just a refresh yeah i mean assuming that you know if you stop using uh you know, Ford stops using Mustang. You probably don't want to see Mustang appearing on another car right. <laughs> in right. a few years, right? So yeah. you definitely want to somehow keep control over that um, if, if, for defense purposes, if nothing else. Yeah, well, and actually Mustang's an interesting example, right? Because now they're using it with their electric vehicles. Right. And that and that's an example, I think, of, I don't know this for certain, but I imagine that they, they know internally that that's a valuable brand. Everybody <laughs> knows Ford Mustang. and right. And yes, maybe you're moving away from muscle cars for, for lots of reasons, but ultimately it makes sense to keep that brand alive in the form of an, another another line. So in that case, I think that illust- just illustrates being aware of the value of your marks and being willing to, to shuffle them around a little bit. I mean, here I, I haven't looked into it, so I don't know how it was done, but something like the Ford Bronco is also a good example. I mean, that car disappeared at least Mustang's always kind of, I think, been around, but the Bronco disappeared for a big chunk of time. Yeah. So I, I wonder what, what Ford did to keep its, uh, you know, to keep its rights in that for so long. Yeah. Maybe they sold parts. I was gonna say maybe like replacement parts, parts or, or something. Something close enough to cars where if somebody had stepped up and tried to make a Bronco. They <laughs> Right, they could have stopped a, it. Sent a nasty letter. Right. Yeah, I've not looked into that. That's a good point, though. But, I mean, those those were long gone. Right, those were long. Right. Yeah. Right, those were long gone. But um, yeah, well, good stuff. Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's some definitely some good food for thought for for people anybody that's thinking about rebranding for for any reason really. That does it for today's episode. Uh, before we sign off, thank thank our firm Runner Auto for sponsoring this podcast. Runner Auto is a boutique IP firm located in tropical Cleveland, Ohio, these days at least. Runner Auto's IP attorneys help identify, protect, manage, enforce, and defend intellectual property assets domestically and abroad for a diverse group of clients, including multinational corporations, mid-sized companies, startups, and universities. For more information about Renner Auto, visit www.rennerauto.com. Uh, if you have any questions for, for Kyle or me, uh, you can email us at nsip at renerado.com or you can find our individual contact information at the firm website that I gave a little bit earlier. If you like what you've heard, leave us a review. Make sure to subscribe so you receive future episodes. Otherwise, thanks for listening.